Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. The way I got my first commission for the Maldives, because it's a really hard place to get commission for, because people don't care if you have the longest slides in the Maldives, you know, or you have the most restaurants in the Maldives. Like, this is not going to get a freelance writer a commission. It's going to get somebody in-house a really great trip to the Maldives where they can bring their partner and have a great honeymoon. But someone like me does not get to go to the Maldives to do, you know, <laughs> a very straightforward piece. I mean, going to the Maldives on assignment, again, it sounds like an absolute dream. If you've never been there, you have to take a, you usually have to take a seaplane from Malé, which is the capital, and then you have to take a seaplane to get to these little uh, islands. And it's just absolutely spectacular. Like, you look down and it's this impressionist painting of swirling blues. It's absolutely magical. But on these islands, there's very little by way of culture, okay? So, like, that automatically takes away a lot of a, a really big angle, okay? So anything that is on those islands, it has been brought in. So even if it's, like, a Maldives chef, that you can maybe talk about, that's great, but you're not going to have any kind of like produce or, or ingredients that are essentially from that island. I arrive in the Maldives with this firmly set assignment in my mind and I arrive, I get off the seaplane and people are already looking at me. The thing about the Maldives is it's not a solo destination, you know? So there's this woman alone in the Maldives People are like, oh, was she jilted at the altar? <laughs> did they, did she have a breakup? Like, what, what is happening here that this woman is alone in the Maldives? And it just so happens that my assignment was on sustainability in the Maldives. So the whole time I'm at this beautiful resort, I'm sitting there asking about garbage island and recycling and where does the styrofoam go? And <laughs> is it true people burn their rubbish? So <laughs> people, I mean, by the time I left them that island, people must have been like, what is up with this girl? <laughs> what is up with Captain Planet over here? <laughs> But this is to say that you have to find the unlikely story, and stories can be found anywhere, even in the trash heap. <laughs> the great Nicole there on the loneliest excursion to the Maldives I've ever heard. Welcome to episode two of this Circa Journey series, all about finding your way into and through the life of being a travel writer. This episode is basically a how-to guide on pitching stories, knowing how to deal with PR agencies, finding your story, approaching and pitching editors, writing what you'd love, 
plus the difficulty of living in the luxury travel world without becoming an unbearable snob. Her words, not mine. As always, I'm going to let Nicole do the talking, so here she is, as far from an unbearable snob as you can get, Nicole Trillivas. Enjoy. Routinely, I will go to an editor before a trip and I will say, I'm going to be writing about X, Y, and Z. And this is where we can get into the inspiration behind travel writing. A lot of it is on me insofar as you're not going to find the story in an itinerary from a PR person who wants you to come visit their destination or their hotel. Um, Because they don't think that way, and that's not really their job to think that way. A lot of times you have to do research beforehand to have an idea about what you're going to talk about. And then you have to go back to the PR and say, can you support this angle? You know, can you can you help me out finding sources or can you help me out with an activity and that kind of thing? But I haven't had a pitch go really wrong, but I have pitched something and I've said, no, this isn't going to work. I have a better story. And what I do in those instances is I write out the copy. I don't, I don't really ask for permission. I write out the copy and I say, listen, on this trip, I, I tweaked the angle a bit because I thought this worked a lot better. What do you think? Which puts them in, in a situation where they're more likely to say yes because they can see exactly where I'm going with the angle. I work really closely with PR agencies and PR agencies come to me with a product, which could be a hotel, it could be a destination, it could be an event, it could be wine, it could be food. And they come and they invite me to experience this destination. And this is kind of an uncomfortable truth in the travel industry. Often things get right about because that's where the money is and that's where the budget comes from. And I say more often than not, this is how it is, because I do have my own trips where either I fund them myself or I go kind of piecemeal and get someone to cover my flights and I get someone else to cover my accommodations and I get someone else to look at my food and beverage or or taxis on the ground, that kind of thing. But those two examples take so much more time and so much more effort on my behalf that more often than not, it's I get an invitation and I see what I can do with that. I recently got invited to this fantastic hotel in Hollywood. This hotel has been around forever. There's no story about this hotel that hasn't been written before. But somehow I have to figure out, what can I do? What's the story here? What can I talk about if I want to take this trip? More times than not, I would say 90% of trips I get invited on, I turn down. And I turn down because I know there's not going to be a big enough story for it. And a big enough story means either, you know, a great story with a good paying outlet or a bunch of other small stories that I can kind of butcher the trip into and get a good return for my investment. Because every time I take a trip, I'm away from my desk, which means I'm not writing and it means I'm not pitching and it means I'm not making money. Because I'm a full-time travel writer, I very much think of this as a business. I'm not a travel writer with the goal of traveling. That's something that I love, and the minute I stop loving it, I shouldn't do this job anymore. But in order to keep going, and in order to do this for the rest of my life, which is my goal, I I have to think in a business way about it. Back to this trip to, to Hollywood. 
I started to think, okay, what makes this property or this destination special? What's going on from a trend perspective in the area? I look at menus at restaurants and the hotels or destinations. I look on Instagram and I look at hashtags of the destination to see what's going on there. I look at personalities. Who can I find to talk to? Cooks, chefs, gardeners. I look at what's going on in the world or in that destination now. Why now? Editors always want to know, why do you want to write about this destination right now? For this one, I realized that there's a new biopic of Marilyn Monroe coming out. And I thought, perfect. That's my angle, a Marilyn Monroe's guide to Hollywood. And that's the story that I was able to sell and I was able to get on that trip. So I have this timely angle. I have this angle that's much more interesting. So boom, there we go. That's that's how I was able to do that. Always answer the question, why should an editor dedicate space to this? So the quicker you can answer that question in a pitch, I think the more successful your pitch is going to be. We'll be back with more tricks of the trade from Nicole. We'll see you after the break. I'm pretty stereotypical luxury travel writer. Like I've become an unbearable snob. (laughs) But it's because the people who are reading luxury travel publications aren't going to be impressed that, you know, there's turndown service at a hotel. No one one cares about, you know, a thousand thread count Egyptian cotton sheets. Those are all guaranteed when you're talking about luxury travel industry. Those are givens, you know what I mean? I personally love an old school adventure travel journalist, especially the women. Oh, they're great. They have these amazing stories because when they were really up and coming in the business, they had to fight harder than everybody else. So they have these really, really great stories just of kind of savvy and know-how. And also, too, there's there's plenty, there's still plenty of horizons to discover. I don't want to act like, you know, the world is all, everyone's seen everything and done that. That's not the case. But back in the day, should we say, you know, there was a spirit of adventure that was really um, praised. And and I think maybe it's the Indiana Jones generation. You know, there is that intrepidness that was really, really celebrated that doesn't seem to be as, um, there doesn't seem to be a massive market for it now. Yeah, maybe people just want to (laughs) relax. I do think there's a big trend in experiential travel, which people want to have these really amazing experiences. And they believe that experiences like that are sort of the last thing you're allowed to brag about, right? Nobody cares about if you have a Ferrari in your garage. No one wants to hear about you going to Nobu in Ibiza. But if you talk about swimming with humpback whales off the coast of Norway, you know, that's a cool story. People want to hear those stories. That's like the last kind of legal thing you can brag about and say how cool you are <laughs> and say how, and say essentially how much money you have because a lot of these experiential adventures cost a ton of money. You know, there's an outfit now who has a camp, basically a seasonal camp in Antarctica. I mean, it's astronomical how much it cost, but it's like space travel and uh, pop-up camps in the middle of Antarctica. People want to have these amazing experiences. And that, I think, is a really positive move that we're working towards. Um, but unfortunately, it's usually very cost-dependent. And um, it's about, you know, <laughs> spending a lot of money to have these experiences. 
At the end of the day, though, it, it's it's nice to see that, and it's reassuring that stories about human experiences and journeys that are inward as much as they are outward are always going to have a market, and people are desperate for that content because that that's something that you can replicate even if, if you're not replicating the actual activity. Anytime art can get you to follow your curiosity and to get you out there and see the world, like that is the quickest way you can learn something these days, you know, by traveling to a new place. Like you will learn something about yourself so quickly when you're on the road because you are forced to. <laughs> What provokes you? What incites you? What gets you curious? You know, you have to be guided by your passion because I write about travel because I could talk about travel forever. This is a subject that I legitimately find interesting and curious, and I want to hear where you've just been, and I want to hear where you're going next. So what, do, what is it that you want to talk about? And then what do you spend your free time doing? What do you spend your supplemental income on? I always think to myself, like, when your basic needs are met, right, you have, like, shelter, food, all taken care of, safety. What do you spend your extra money on? That's your passion. If it's collecting little figurines, like, guess what? There's other people all around the world that collect those same figurines, and they want to see the warehouse where they make those figurines. You know, follow those little threads. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. And you're going to write good stuff because it's stuff that you care about. I like looking at the big picture. I like looking at countries, how they how they deal with tourism. So we were talking about Rwanda earlier. But to me, what's really interesting now is what Uganda is doing, where they're looking at the same product, essentially, which is gorilla trekking. And their permits are about half the price for gorilla trekking that, than they are in Rwanda. So I think that's really different um, and interesting from um, this sort of like bird's eye view about how they're going to be shaping their country's future and their country's legacy by how they're positioning their tourism products. So I'm always interested in those kind of things, but there's only certain publications, you know, who are going to be interested in those kind of pieces. Um, so a lot of the times I do have to sort of take these different shapes and put them into the style of the magazine or, you know, something really catchy and clickbaity. And that's fine, as long as at the end of the day you're talking about things that you care about. Food and drink is um, something, again, that I could talk about forever. Um, that's something that I find really interesting. It's great looking at trends and this whole idea of like farm to table. And then you go to these countries where farm to table isn't a trend. It's literally their daily life. Like that's how life is. <laughs> so I like looking at what's kind of happening in the world. And then, you know, people might just not, might not be aware of it and how it's happening in these countries or how it started first or or those kind of things. Food is the quickest way, I believe, to get to know a culture. So it's not just about what they eat, but it's how they eat. How long is their dinner? When is their dinner? What's on the table? Who's at the table? So I always think that if you can crack uh, the dining in a country um, and the gastronomy of a country, you have a really good insight into that culture. And also, if you talk to people about food— Provided they're into food, too, I mean, it's like you're just going to get such good 
insight into the culture by just talking to someone about food and what they eat and what they they normally do. And one thing I always do is, especially around food, but in general as well, uh, if I'm asking for recommendations, I don't ask, what should I order? Or where should I go? I ask, what would you order? Where do you go? Where do you go on a Sunday with your family for lunch? Where do you go on a date? Like where would – and it takes it takes the pressure off that person and you get a little insight into that person and, and that culture. Um, but no, I think food is a really quick way to understand to understand where you are. It's so funny. People ask me all the time um, which country has the best food. And it's a really hard thing to answer. Um, And I always say the more interesting question is which country has the worst food. (laughs) I think for me, food and, and drinks, like that's more my area of knowledge. And that's where I have the vocabulary to talk about them. But for sure, I mean, there's a lot of um, there's music journalists who do a lot of travel writing because they do uh, the the circuit of festivals and festivals. I mean, anyone who's been to a festival will know that it's totally dependent on where you go and the, the vibe changes, whether you're in the desert in Coachella or, you know, at Bonnaroo, you know, the, the, it's a completely different story no matter where you go. So this goes back to what I was saying before about be guided by your passion, be guided by your curiosity, find what you're interested in, and you can use that as the lens, and then you can overlay travel to that. Thanks for listening to part two of our travel writer's journey with Nicole Trillivas. All other episodes are available right now in the Circa app, ad-free, or anywhere you get your podcasts. This series was produced and edited by me, Neil Innes, and executive produced by Stacey Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Abby Glujanski. Huge thanks to Nicole for her time and wisdom. Be sure to check her out on Instagram and Twitter at Nicole Trillivas or at NicoleTrillivas.com. Continue or listen to this journey again right now in the Circa app. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it.